Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this evening. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all around the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And we have a really special show this evening because we have Nancy Dennison that's going to join us. I am traveling, and so Nancy and I are pre-recording this show. Since I'm traveling, I'm going to be unable to take callers' questions, and I thought this would be really a, an interesting and fun thing to do with Nancy. Uh, I read some of Nancy's information, gosh, I guess just within the past 10 days or so, and found that it really resonated and correlated with things that I see in the spirit world. And I was compelled to give her a call and see if she wanted to be a guest on the show. I've never done an interview on the show before. So Nancy, you're my maiden voyage girl as we get this going. And, um, and the other thing I have to mention when I called Nancy, I was laughing. I said, we have a lot in common because Nancy lives in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I was born and raised. And, and she's a graduate of the Ohio State University like I am. So I knew she must be fabulous just from that, if nothing else. <laughs> so among lots of other things we have it, have in common. So Nancy, I'm welcome. I'm a fabulous guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, it, 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 I'm sure maiden voyages oftentimes turn out to be the best ones. So maybe, it, it, hopefully it will be in this case too. But can you please give everybody who's joined us uh, a brief overview of how you acquired the knowledge you now teach to others and give us just a little bit of a brief background of, of what it is you teach? I acquired the information in my books and CDs and DVDs and YouTube channel the hard way. I died. Oh, and I went into the afterlife. And unlike other near-death experiencers uh, about whom your uh, viewer or your listeners may have heard or read, I had so much time in the afterlife that I actually lived there. Most near-death experiencers are there for moments, and they view the experience and explain and understand the experience with the same parameters of human understanding that we use while we're here on these human bodies. I, on the other hand, went through a transformation process that we all go through after death of our human host bodies, and through that transformation process, I lost the what I call the human perspective, the human belief system, and the human way of looking at things. 
and acquired the unconditional love way of looking at things and viewing life and, and our creator. So during this, what people will call a near-death experience, but I call living in the afterlife, <laughs> I was privileged to have downloaded right into my brain what I call knowings. And the reason I call them knowings is because, you know, have you ever had a sensation where you just feel like you know something? You know, you can't explain how you know it or where you got the information. You just know it. And that's what these are like. It was like everything that could possibly ever be known about a particular topic was downloaded into my mind with a crystal clear understanding. So I didn't just, I didn't hear words. It was all telepathic without words. What I got was understanding. And when I realized that I was getting this knowledge, you know, kind of flooding my mind, and I thought, well, I wonder if I can ask specific questions. So I did. I asked specific questions. Who am I? Who is God? Where's heaven? Where's hell? What's the purpose of life? Why am I on earth? What's the one true religion? And I got the answers to those questions. And the answers were completely different than anything I had ever learned with my 12 years of Catholic school education and six years of Methodist college. I learned a whole new way of looking at life and looking at our creator that is free from the fear and the guilt and the angst of our human religions. So while I was in the afterlife, you know, I was living there. I, I, I moved through stages of life that we all go through um, to the end point of which was what I call merging into a creator, what I call source, because it's an energy source. The creator that I know intimately is nothing like a being. It's nothing like the God or the Allah or the Supreme Being that our religions talk about and teach us about. It was a huge energy field. It was a source of everything. The entire universe is enclosed within this energy field. So I call it the source. Well, I was integrating with the source. I kept thinking about you know, all the information I had gotten. And I had also seen a documentary history of Earth showing how religion got started and how various religions evolved and what they were going to be like in the future as a way of explaining to me why I wasn't told through my religions what I was learning through these knowings in the afterlife. So that was weighing heavily on me. I, I kept thinking, you know, somebody ought to go back to Earth and tell these people that what we've been told that's so scary and weighs so heavily on us isn't true. Life is so much simpler and more beautiful and elegant than that. And the next thing I know, I'm on my way back into my body. And I kept saying, I didn't mean me. <laughs> you know, I to tell those people, I didn't necessarily mean me. But apparently, I didn't mean me. <laughs> so I was headed back in a whirlwind to my body. And while going through 
but felt kind of like going down, you know, backwards down through a tornado funnel. I was memorizing as much as I could remember of what I learned in the afterlife. And when I got back into my body, it was slipping away so fast because physical matter is so dense that it's really, really hard to keep any great level of intelligence within it. But I, I memorized enough that I was able to retain enough that I have written about a thousand pages of books of what happened to me in the afterlife and what I learned. So everything that's in my books, it's not my life story. You know, while I was born, um, you know, in my elementary school, you know, it's none of that autobiography. It's just the information from the afterlife. Right, right. And everybody, Nancy was a really high powered litigator attorney, uh, before she took this journey into the afterlife. And Nancy, I'm wondering, after listening to what you were just talking about, trying to memorize things, how did your training and career as an attorney benefit your work that you're doing now with teaching people about really all these concepts that are so far beyond what we've most of us have been taught in our normal religious trainings and, and upbringings? I think being an attorney and particularly being a litigator and having taken courses in advocacy, I went into the afterlife with an attitude of, show me the money. I mean, you know, show me the evidence. I didn't, (laughs) you know, I didn't have these like illusions that I was going to see all kinds of things that I had been taught in elementary school. I approached it step by step. And said, prove it to me. And so the information that I got was proof. <laughs> you know, that's what right. the knowings were. They, were. they were proof that what I was experiencing was real and that it was what everybody experiences after they leave human bodies. And also, I think the way my background as an attorney has helped and work I do now is I was trained at, at my, I was a 270 attorney law firm, um, a very high powered, prestigious law firm. I was so grateful to have been given the opportunity to work there and become a partner with the attorneys there. They taught me, my partners there taught me how to find the precise word to explain something and how to put things in a set simple and direct terms that a jury could understand them. Mm-hmm. And so I Interesting. think that... That's what comes out of my books. It sounds like a lawyer wrote them. You know, it's just direct, boom, 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 back, 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 without any fluff. Well, but you you have done a magnificent job, in my opinion, of translating those concepts that you got in the afterlife to understandable verbiage. I, I haven't read any whereas's or heretofores in your books yet. <laughs> I haven't read well, any. Well, attorney stopped using that when I was in Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't read any of that lawyer lingo that I see so often. Um, but it's, I laugh because in one business contract, you'll appreciate this, in one business contract I saw one time, I think there were over 100 words in one sentence. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, my goodness. So, okay. Well, interesting. All right. In your book, and how many books have you written? 
four and I'm working on number five. Okay. So in one of your books called Backwards Beliefs, you talk about how many of us were taught that God's messages were delivered thousands of years ago by church leaders, prophets, and kings. Then you discuss how since that time there have been millions of messengers. And if we fast forward to our current societies, who'd be considered a messenger today? And how do we recognize who somebody as a messenger is? Because certainly there's lots of people that like to pontificate about lots of different topics. But how do we, how do we recognize a messenger when there is one in front of us? And, and who are these messengers? Are they our political leaders? Are they our religious leaders and kings and people like that now or gurus? Or who are they? Well, you're going to laugh. The only one I remember by name was Gene Roddenberry, the creator of the Star Trek TV series. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know. And I saw him. I was just so thrilled because I always watched all the Star Trek shows. And, you know, once I knew that he was a messenger, I, I could look back on various episodes and see the kernel of, of truth about our creator and the afterlife in those shows. Hmm. Um, for example, you know, just the, the simple thing of um, accepting everyone on an equal basis. All people are equal regardless of their skin color or planet of origin. You know, just little nuggets like that in the series. Everybody else that I, I saw identified as messengers were not kings or rulers or gurus or priests or ministers or pastors or uh, self-proclaimed uh, prophets or speakers in churches. They were everyday people doing their jobs as best they knew how, like singers. Nickelback has a song that was identified to me as containing a message that we are all one. And, you know, that's a popular um, recording group that, you know, today. Um, the other people were, you know, housewives and librarians and, you know, just people who have a message of unconditional love, people like yourself who are doing what they can to help one another and to, and some of the people we might call light workers. I've heard people call themselves light workers. Hmm. The way we recognize who is a messenger as they were identified to me, you know, while in the afterlife is how their messages make us feel. Mm -hmm. If If their message scares us, makes us go, oh, that's what I was afraid of, or reinforces what we've learned in religions, that if the message is about how we are separate from God and separate from our Creator and have to earn our way into heaven by acting certain ways, those people are not sources, messengers of the knowings that I received in the afterlife. The messengers that source sends have messages that make us feel comfortable, loved, accepted. And when we hear them, we go, yeah, I've always thought that. I've always felt that way, but I've never heard anybody say it. 
it's almost a warm, fuzzy feeling <laughs> when you hear something. Almost nurturing, it sounds like. Yeah, and if it, it resonates. I mean, you know, you've heard people say, well, it just clicks with me. If you right. feel that click or that, you know, settling down yeah, or, or a zing or, you know, there, people get it different ways, but it's something mm-hmm. that resonates mm-hmm. with you and you know it's true when you hear it. Right. Funny thing about the Star Trek stuff, you know, I'm, I... I when you said that, I thought, well, beam me up, Scotty, <laughs> when, they're, <laughs> when they're beaming up people in Star Trek to different planets or whatever. That's what spirits look like to me. They look like holograms of who they were in, you know, in their human form, just so I can identify them. And oh, I always, That's the way they look in the afterlife, too. Well, that's how I see them. And, and oftentimes when I'm working with a client, either one-on-one or somebody's calling into the show and they're asking a question and they want to talk to their deceased grandmother or whatever, grandma's standing right in front of my desk and I can tell you what they look like and, and all of that. And it, it helps the the human humans really identify who's there. The other thing that... Um, really resonated with me was the movie Contact. Did you ever see that with Jodie Foster? Oh, good to go, good to go, good to go. That's right, yes. She was an an astronomer, and she, um, a lot of the things that I saw in that resonated with the things that I see, too. That's, I, I never thought about Star Trek, except I use that example all the time about beam me up, Scotty, because that's what spirits look like. So interesting. See, everybody, I told you that this is why I wanted to have Nancy on, because so much of what she talks about, I see in in the work that I do, see in my mind's eye, obviously. Okay, next question. In your book, Answers from the Afterlife, you talk about light beings sitting on councils that help guide the physical lives of souls with particular missions. Can you please explain your term light being and how the council's guiding works with the humans, with the mortals? That sounds like a Samantha Stevens term, doesn't it? We we mortals. (laughs) Well, human animals are mere mortals. I know. And for those of you that are too young to know who Samantha Stevens is, there was a TV show when Nancy and I were growing up called Bewitched that I used to watch every day when we got home from school, the reruns. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about, bare mortals. Okay. I love Bewitched. Okay, light beings is a term that I learned from reading other people's near-death experiences. When we have a near-death experience and go into the afterlife, Many people see these brilliant, glowing, vaguely human-shaped beings. And when I saw them, I thought of them as energy beings because to me they looked like, um, like you know, that, that pattern in the, in the Beam Me Up Scotty scenario where it's just sparkles and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it also resembled like a light bulb where there's light at the center and it got fainter as you know, as you got out farther on the periphery of the of the being. What people call angels, uh, what people call ghosts, spirits, um, visions, those all fall into the category of what I'm calling light beings. And as was explained to me, 
a light being, and that's just a, a handy way of, of referring to these things. It doesn't really mean anything. They're they're not really beings, and they're not really made out of light. It's just a, you know a shorthand term. And lawyers are all about coming up with shorthand terms. <laughs> when I was well, we are. When I was you know um, parts of source hereafter known as light beings, <laughs> you know that kind of language. Um, when I was in the afterlife, it was explained to me that source created the universe in its imagination. The entire universe is made of source thought energy manifest into physical matter. So everything that we perceive in the universe is a manifestation of source's imagination and is very much like what we manifest in our dreams as the scenarios that our dreams take place in. Source created the universe in order to have a way of interacting with itself because it was alone. The source that I I know intimately was alone and it had already studied everything it could learn about itself by itself. So it created this universe and all kinds of creatures and things and inanimate objects and living matter in order to put its own perspective, its own awareness and consciousness into all these parts of the universe and so it, it could interact with itself. So it works just like our dreams do. When we dream we have you know, we create this environment, our own little universe, and we have Characters in there, and they're usually people we've seen on TV, or people that we know, or you know, people from our past, or you know. But we populate the dream, and then we're in the dream too. The character that that we are today in this human body is in the dream, and we watch the dream from inside that character, the same way we watch human life from inside the human body. So, and we participate in the dream from inside that one character. We can do that because we are part of Source. And source can do that. So what source does is it created all these mental characters, like our dream characters, each one having a unique personality composed of traits that are just like source is and traits that source does not have but can imagine. And these characters will exist in source's mind like characters in novels exist in James Patterson's mind. And through these characters, Source can put its awareness into physical matter. When it does so, we call the end result a soul. When that soul is in the afterlife, I call it a light being. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about souls and humans, we're, we really mean the character that Source created us to be. The personality, the individual, the bundle of love and talents and traits that we feel is ourselves. You know, this is me. That's really the character in Source's mind. The human animal that we inhabit has its own personality and character traits, but it's not that much more sophisticated than cats and dogs and horses and cows and pigs. So... Soul is part of the light being inside physical matter. When soul is in the afterlife, 
I call it a light being. And most of us light beings, souls, do not really have a mission. Our, we are in physical matter because we want to be, because we want to know what it feels like to be X, Y, or Z. We want to know what it feels like to be a human. We want to know what it's like to live as a tree. We want to know what it's like to live as a rock. We want to know what it's like to live as a cloud. We can choose anything we want as many times as we want. And that's why we were created. And we were created to bring sources, self-awareness, into physical matter. But we don't have specific tasks that we're supposed to perform. Most of us don't. A few do. Like when I, at the end of my near-death experience when I was saying, you know, somebody ought to go back and tell those people. At that point, I was given an actual mission. Uh-huh. And my mission was to come back and tell everybody, to tell anyone who would listen what I'd learned in the afterlife. So, so how do you a, feel... How do you feel you get guidance on what to do in order to tell people what happened in the afterlife? Do you get inspired and then you act on that? Are you shown physical signs? Really. How does it how does it happen? The way it works um, is there are these what I call councils of light beings, and they're not really that. They're just groups of light beings who love me and who volunteered for the job of. Um, keeping me on mission or trying to keep me on mission. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are missionaries, I guess we have to die to get back in contact with our councils. Mm-hmm. So I don't get any guidance on a day-to-day basis. I'm never told do this or do that, or this is right or that's right. I don't get inspired. I don't get information. I get nothing. The only way I know whether I'm on track or not is I die again. And I go back into the afterlife, and I meet with my counsel. First time that happened after um, my my big near-death experience in 1994, I was told that I wasn't doing the job, <laughs> you know, and I should get, get, get with the program, you know. And I don't remember exactly anything anybody said, but my overall impression when I got back in my body was, oh, I'm supposed to get going. And so I did, uh-huh. little by little. When I died again in 2001, went back before my council, I was told again, you're not really doing it. You're not doing what you said you were going to do. We won't hold it against you. You know, it's okay. If you want to come home, you don't have to do this mission. You know, you can just come home. But we've got to warn you, the body you're in is dying. And if you decide to go back into and stay in that body, you will suffer for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I'd given my word that I was going to spread this information. So I elected to come back into the body and for the rest of her life, which is exactly what we've done. Is uh, there some light being that we can um, recruit to teach them about emails so you don't have to die to get an update? <laughs> there's got to be there's got to be an easier way. <laughs> well, you know, I imagine there are other people who are doing a better job of communicating with their counsel if they have one. I just, I've always been kind of dense in that regard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, well. All right. 
most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com and use Julie Ryan at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. Well, everybody, we do this show, as those of you who've joined us before know, we do it every Thursday at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Go to my website, AskJulieRyan.com. If you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see all this call-in information. Also, I just, I, I had an inspiration, Nancy. I just put these numbers on the description on the podcast download. So if you subscribe to the feed on iTunes or Stitcher, iHeartRadio or any of those, there's a description about the show. And at the bottom of that description are all these call-in numbers. So if you're looking for that, I, I just started that last week. So you can find them there as well. Also, so you when you get much of that information from your playbeats that I do. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe I can help you with that, girl. I don't okay. talk to as much either. <laughs> Yeah. Also, when you're on my uh, website, sign up for the newsletter. It's my blog. I send it out once a week on Thursday mornings. It's fast. It'll take you less than a minute to read it. And the call-in information is in the body of the email as well. It's a question that somebody has submitted online, and I answer it. And uh, it's usually, I, I do my best to find things that are interesting and informative at the same time. And then while you're on my website, schedule a, an appointment because then I get you for a whole hour and that's really fun to to discuss whatever you want to discuss. I laugh and I tell people I'm a I'm like a buffet of psychicness. We can talk to <laughs> I can scan you medically, we can talk to your deceased loved ones, I can scan your pets, we can scan your house, we can, I mean whatever. Um whatever you want to do, we can talk about. And it and it it's really fun and it's really informative and I love it because I, I get you all to myself for a whole hour. So we're talking with Nancy Dannison who had an afterlife experience and the reason I asked her to come on the show is because so much of what she talks about, I see in my mind's eye when I'm scanning somebody or when I'm uh, working with a client or, or even when you call in and, and ask a question on the show or when you submit a question online. And so I was, as I say here in the Deep South, I was led, I was led to call Nancy and ask her if she wanted to be on my show. And um, fortunately, she very graciously agreed. Okay, next question, Miss Nancy. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. You 
mentioned in your books how light beings who are co-creators within the source chose to bestow a quantum leap in evolution upon human animals and infuse humans with additional energy to alter their genetic codes and boost their development. That's a handful to say, but I go on. With all that being said, where do today's geneticists formulating designer babies fit into the equation? Are they messengers facilitating human evolution? Like these, these co-creators that were doing their jobs to help co-create evolution when they infused this genetic material into what we now know as human form. Where does that tie in with, what's your opinion of where that ties in with today's geneticists? They've, I forget, I forget what the, the, uh, procedure is called it's called like the skip or the leap or something where they are they're really close to be to be able to do the genetic formulations to to uh, create what we call designer babies so what's your opinion on that what's your what's your uh, you know your thought on all of that uh my thought is it doesn't matter okay because Humans are animals, just like all other animals on Earth. They are not us. And while we may inhabit them as short-term tenants, we are not humans ourselves. Now, I'm, I'm going back to what you said about light beings choosing to bestow a quantum leap on humans. That happened like millions of years ago, Uh like millions and millions and millions of years ago. Right. My understanding is that from watching the the history of Earth while I was in the afterlife is that we are going into a third uh, era or a third epoch of Earth's life cycle and that a third species of humans is currently evolving there was a first species of humans in the first ep- epoch back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, mm-hmm. and those humans were killed off at the same time that the dinosaurs were killed off and the earth re-terraformed and the, the conditions were such that not much life survived. A second species of humans evolved more quickly, but independently from the first species, and we are that second, we are inhabiting that second species of humans. A third species has been underway for some period of time, I don't know how long. So there are people walking among us whose genetic makeup is just slightly different from the the known human genome. There's no way to tell who they are unless you run their DNA. Uh Uh-huh. I well, twenty three and where... me is trying to do that. <laughs> trying, you know, all these, uh, all these only to genetic... everybody. I know all these genetic, you know, testing things that you can do. For me, being a data privacy and security person, you know, I swim in that with one of my businesses. I think, do I? I don't know that I really want my genetic material out there that somebody can hack into and have access to. So, that's a whole nother discussion some other time but um interesting so So, 
back to my, it doesn't matter whether scientists or geneticists are tweaking the human genome because all intelligence, all creativity, all innovation comes from source, comes from the soul within the human body. And we wouldn't be able to do it if it weren't the right thing to be doing. Uh-huh. And, okay. and frankly, when we're in the afterlife, we have a completely different feeling towards humans. We don't revere them. We don't think of them as anything more important than anything else in the physical universe. Humans are no more important than trees or grass or concrete. Interesting concept. Yeah, yeah. and it's only because we're not inside them. And it's, right. it's no different than because we're not inside mosquitoes, we don't think they're important, and because we're not inside um, food animals, we don't think it's important we kill them to eat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our sense of what's important depends on our perspective, and right now our perspective is largely human. Uh-huh. Well, back to the designer baby question, I think um, ethicists and ethic professors and you know philosophers and those guys can debate that till the cows come home, and I'm sure they will. So it was interesting to hear your opinion and your take on that um, you know that whole thing it came up when when I was reading in your book about the the um, genetic codes to help with evolution of the species, and I thought, well, I wonder if these guys that are dreaming all this stuff up are just all part of the master plan. Obviously, they are. It wouldn't be happening. So it'll be interesting to watch it play out. Okay, changing directions a little bit. Uh, my next question is, in your books, you mentioned we don't need to suffer because we have the power to change our beliefs and therefore our lives because we manifest our beliefs into physical reality. You go on to say we all can access our spiritual powers by getting our human minds out of the way. How do we get our human minds out of the way in order to manifest our desires? It's actually easier than it sounds, and we do it all the time. We just don't think of it that way. One way of doing it is meditation, where we quiet the flow of words that run through our mind. And obviously, words are going to pop into our mind, and we just push them back out and try to keep a clear and quiet mind. That's one way of doing it. Mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness is another way. And mindfulness is the same thing. It's where you just sit with yourself and try to clear your mind. And if thoughts come in, you you don't judge them. You just shoo them away. There's a process called focusing. It was created by Eugene Gendlin and a group of psychologists at the University of Chicago. And they describe it in a little book called Focusing, where you talk to your own body. And in order to do that, you have to kind of step back from the body and be the observer. Just like Eckhart Tolle describes in The Power of Now, he talks about how the the way he first realized that he was the soul part of the body and not the body part was when he 
noticed that he could sit quietly and clear his mind and then observe thoughts coming into the mind. And he said, well, if I'm an observer watching these thoughts come in, who's doing the thinking? It's not me. You know, mm-hmm. and so it, they're human thoughts. Um, so any way that you can separate yourself from that flow of verbiage, concentrating, like I find weightlifting or power walking or running are good ways. Any way you can occupy the body with a task that requires a certain amount of concentration in order to get it right and mm-hmm. not harm yourself, that can free the mind. Uh, and free you up to um, being able to access your spiritual powers. So then once you get that under control, or at least you get a good handle on that as far as freeing the mind, then what happens next in order to help us manifest what our desires are? We don't manifest our desires. Okay. That is a... that whole law of attraction theory has kind of gone off the rails from manifesting truly means. And one of the tasks I was given in the afterlife was um, to correct the misimpression about manifesting. I mean, I was told about manifesting three different ways and, you know, it's like pounded into me. And the book I'm writing now is called We Are Creators, Powerful Mm -hmm. Beyond the Law of Attraction. And it's about how to manifest physical reality. And it's real simple to do when we're in the afterlife. It's harder to do when we're in a body because it takes concentration. The formula is we have to put our attention and intention on creating physical reality. So it has to be the soul doing it. The body cannot do it. So we have to be in our soul mind, <laughs> if you want to call it that, our soul perspective. And we have to give this thought, the idea, the concept, attention. And attention might be just thinking about it. It might be studying about it. It might be researching. It might be doing legwork. Um, It depends on what the thing is that we want to manifest. And the intention part is we have to have creative intention as source to bring it about. Again, the human body cannot do it. It doesn't matter what the human's doing or what the human wants. What we manifest into physical reality is what we truly and deeply believe about ourselves, about life. So our beliefs are terribly, terribly important. And most of what we manifest that we are unhappy about stems from our beliefs that we're not aware we even have. You know, a lot of them have been formed in childhood, and we are continuing to unconsciously manifest beliefs that don't serve us well. We can change our beliefs through enlightenment. It might take study. It might take just hearing the right thing at the right time. And then we can consciously manifest better things for ourselves by going through this process of you know, clearing the mind and forming the attention and intention with concentration and focus and dedication to it. So it, it takes some work. 
even then we will not manifest anything unless it is going to further our goals, our spiritual goals, the reasons that we came into physical life in the first place. We will not manifest money just because humans want money. We will not manifest being you know, a rock star just because you know, <laughs> humans want to be a rock star. You know, mm-hmm. if, things, if human desires are inconsistent with our spiritual goals, we will not manifest them no matter how hard we try. Interesting. Okay. Well, I laughed when you said soul mine. I thought that, that kind of sounds like a Motown hit, <laughs> the soul mine. <laughs> that uh, I could just, I love Motown music. I'm dating myself. Me too. And, and I was thinking, oh, that would be the great, that would be a great name. We need to call Barry Gordy and see if he ever had a, you know, a, um, a hit or a group or something somebody called soul mind. I don't know why that came into my mind with Motown, but it did. Okay. Back to your book, the answers from the afterlife in that book, you say we don't have to prove anything in order to get to heaven. You go on to say we're already there though. We're unaware of it. Can you further explain this concept to all of us? Yes. It goes back to how we are created. We are, the individuals, the personalities, the, the beingness, what we love, the person that we think of as ourselves is actually a character and source of mind. We have never been separated. Just like your own thoughts can't get out of your mind and run down the sidewalk and jump on a bicycle, we have never left source's mind. We are parts of source's own consciousness, its own essence, its own awareness. And therefore, we, we've never left source. There's no place to go back to because we've never left. And that, it, what we call the afterlife, or what we call heaven, is actually the first level of what I call the afterlife. It's the level of eternal existence from which we incarnate. So most... Um, People who are in the incarnation cycle of eternal life, when they leave the physical world, they will go into what we call the afterlife or heaven, and then eventually they will decide to reincarnate again, and you know they keep going through the cycle. When near-death experiencers die, 99.9% of them go to that state of the afterlife from which we reincarnate, the state that we call heaven or paradise. I did not because I had already completed my incarnation phase ages and ages ago. I saw it, but I bypassed it and went into the next state of eternal life. So the reason why we don't have to do anything to get into heaven and the reason why we're already there is because we never left. The reason we aren't aware of it is because source in creating the physical matter universe and in creating us it's mental characters. It's like being mental characters. The purpose was to be able to interact with itself and to experience emotions it could imagine but couldn't actually feel directly itself. And those emotions and those feelings and those experiences wouldn't feel real if we knew we were source. So source imposed amnesia on itself, on its mental characters, 
so that they would not know who they really are when they went into the physical world, so that they would truly believe, oh, I'm a tree, or I'm a dog, or I'm a human, or I'm a chunk of concrete, and live as though they really, really are those things and have genuine experiences the source can feel. And then when we leave physical man, we go back into the afterlife, we wake up from that and go, oh, oh, now I know what, you know, it wasn't real. Hmm. Well, speaking of that, and I've heard you say several times just in the past few minutes, and I've also read it in your books, that we reincarnate several times. And my question along those lines, and, and I see this all the time with clients. I mean, in some instances, it's thousands and thousands of lifetimes that they've lived. The term karma and and the belief that some people and cultures have about we keep coming back in different lifetimes in order to satisfy karma from a previous life. Can you speak to that some? We've got about yeah. uh, a little less than 10 minutes left. so yeah. It'll only take me that long. Um, yeah. Karma is, like all religious beliefs, based upon our observation of human life. When we souls are inside humans, we truly believe we're human. And the only tools that we have to work with are what we see and hear and feel and learn and tell each other and study through human life. We don't, most of us aren't like you. We don't have access to spiritual information, you know, that easily. So we just regurgitate what we've learned. And karma, like everything else in, in religious or spiritual beliefs that are prevalent among us, is based on the idea that we are separate from our creator and we must earn our way to heaven. And we earn our way by satisfying the bad, the debt of bad karma that we've built up through acts that are deemed unacceptable by who knows whom at, you know, at the human level. What I learned in the afterlife is there's no such thing as karma. We are not judged. Our whole purpose in existing is to experience physical life and everything it brings. There is nothing we can do as a human that isn't already known to source and already expected of us while we're inside humans. And there's nothing to judge or to forgive. There's nothing to satisfy. Now, what has happened in some instances of people who say that, you know, they, they remember their past lives and they can see that they're satisfying karma I learned in the afterlife that we, we come into human life for one of three reasons. The biggest one is to study or experience or observe or learn about a particular theme that interests us, a particular aspect of human life that interests us. For example, it might be greed, greed. You know, we're interested in how humans can feel greed, or it might be jealousy or sexuality or monetary success or poverty. Or, you know, it could be anything that a human might experience. And we will incarnate into different humans over and over and over again until we have experienced 
360 degrees of everything that can possibly be felt and known and experienced about that theme. We will see greed from every conceivable perspective. We will see sexuality from every conceivable perspective. We, you know, whatever our theme is, we will go over it from every single perspective and every kind of human relationship that could possibly exist so that we have a complete and total understanding of what it's about. So for somebody, let's take uh, the example that most of my readers are most interested in. Let's take the example of murder. If you, the theme you're studying is how does a human being get to the point where they can actually murder another human being, then you might be in a life where you murder somebody. Maybe you murder a lot of people. Uh-huh. The next time you come into human life, you may decide for reasons of your own that this time you want to be the person who's murdered, the murder victim. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You just as easily decide that you want to be the mother of a murder victim or the spouse of the murderer or probation officer of the murderer or the judge or, you know, it could be any conceivable relationship to that thing. But if you just so happen to decide from one life you're the murderer and the next one you decide you want to be the victim, that's going to look like karma to a human. That's going uh-huh. to look like you had to be the victim, make up for the fact that you committed the murders. But that's uh-huh. not what's going on. We choose each life very carefully for reasons of our own. Interesting. Okay. Well, where can people learn more about you and where can they get your books? Uh, my website is backwardsbooks.com. My books are titled Backwards, Returning to Our Source for Answers, The Backwards Guidebook, Backwards Beliefs, Revealing Eternal Truths Hidden in Religions, and Answers from the Afterlife. They're all available from all fine bookstores everywhere. Amazon sells the most. I think they might have the lowest prices. <laughs> that must be one of the <laughs> Barnes & Noble also has them. Um, some libraries carry them. Uh, I also sell them on my website. Okay. And everybody, I encourage you to get Nancy's books. I've read lots of the NDE books. I've read lots of um, other books in this genre over the years. And Nancy's books really resonate with me. They really correlate with what I see in my mind's eye. Uh, And I've been doing this for over 20 years. And Nancy, really none of the other authors that I've read have resonated so much with me like yours do. The other thing that's interesting is, is I know I've read that you believe or that you say or, and or believe probably that, um, that we experience things so that we can understand them. So some of the NDE books that I've read, they, they correlate a lot with the Bible or they correlate with whatever the information is in this lifetime that that person is living. And I get that. And for whatever reason, your books really correlate with what I'm living in this lifetime right now. So um, everybody, go to Nancy's website read her books, get them. You've got a lot of videos online, too, on YouTube, don't you? Yes, and I also have a bunch of DVDs and CDs. Okay. That are right. workshops so. that I've given, so 
Yeah. So I highly encourage you to to check this out. And um, Nancy, thank you so much for being a guest, being my maiden voyage guest on the show. And and what a delight you are. And thank you for all the information that you're sharing with with all of us mere mortals. And um, and hopefully it's going to enable us to live more joyful, easier. How about more fun, even lives? And, oh, I hope um, so. Yeah, and I really appreciate you doing this. Everybody that's listening, please send me an email. Let me know what you think of this show. Let me know if you want me to do more of them. And uh, just, I would love to hear from you. And it's Julie at AskJulieRyan.com. So follow me on Instagram at AskJulieRyan. Follow me on Facebook at AskJulieRyan. And, uh, and call into the show next week because I won't be traveling. I'll be here and I'll be taking callers and answering your questions. So everybody have a great week and Nancy, thanks again for joining us. Thank Take you, care, Julie. everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.